the giant's gamble chapter 26 a golden goose Queen Regent, Sarissa, led the companions into a back chamber and spoke some words of enchantment. The same bubble-like structure appeared around them as it had when they blew the conch, and when it popped, they were standing on the deck of the airship. Martine greeted them, and they showed him the gold-painted wooden coin given to them by the Queen. The coin was etched with a goose. "'It looks like a gambling chip,' the captain said, scratching his goatee. "'Do you know where it's used?' Killian asked. The man shrugged. Yata would be a good place to start. That city has one of the best underground thieves' guilds. If anyone would recognize the symbol on that chip, it'll be them. They changed course and traveled for three days back to Yartar. On the way, they filled Flint in on their previous adventures in the town of Yartar. They told him of the son, Harthal, locked in prison despite his innocence, of their clue to the giant slayer sword, and of their flight from the city after a short battle with the corrupt city guard. That's why we'll need to disguise ourselves, Thea explained to the dwarf. We're not exactly welcomed guests there. We killed most of the guards, Evelyn said, but one got away, she added bitterly. Of the corrupt guards, Thea clarified. Rune, having left Beatrice on the ship in their last adventures, let the Tressum curl up on his lap as he read his books and finally took the time to examine the fire rune opal he'd found in the Oracle's chamber. After some study, he realized its ability to throw fire. He tucked it away for future use and spent the rest of the trip reading and in prayer. He had already known of the existence of gods, but to have one stand in front of you and hand you a weapon, well, that was a whole new proof of faith that one did not get every day. Their time in Yartar was spent efficiently. After resupplying and finding a room for a few nights in a seedy inn, they searched for a contact to the Thieves' Guild and showed the gambling token to a few select people. They left their name with the innkeeper and were told that they would hear from a contact soon. In the meantime, they contacted the prison and were told Harthal was still imprisoned. They plotted how to free the innocent man. Didn't you say you tried that last time you were here? Flint asked uncertainly. Well, sort of. Our friend Bran disguised himself as Harthos, Harthos' father. He walked in and asked him for the giant slayer sword. That's where Harthal told him that Captain Brenner had framed him for murder and kept the sword. Bran got out easily enough, but we had to flee the city before we could return and help Harthal escape. We asked the Lord Protector of Tribor to put in a good word for him and get him a fair trial, but it doesn't look like much came out of that. They decided to have Thea disguise herself this time as Harthal's sister. Opal transformed into a spider and sat on the elf's shoulder, and Killian accompanied them as Thea's pretend husband. Well, Killian said breathlessly, holding a stitch in his side, sweat beating off his brow. That could have gone better. What happened? Flint asked. He, Evelyn, and Rune had stayed well away from the prison, keeping an eye on the building for any sign of trouble. Killian had appeared in a flash near them with Harthal in tow, then disappeared and reappeared less than a minute later with Thea. Opal scurried outside easily, maintaining her spider form until they were out of public view. Thea looked cross as Killian explained. Thea forgot to leave the giant slayer sword behind. The new captain of the guards recognized the sword. I lied and told her we found it in Mirabar. Luckily, she shrugged it off after some talk about forgery, and she led us through to see Harthal. Harthal had the wits to pretend he recognized us. 
Our initial plan was to walk out of there with everyone disguised, but we couldn't get rid of our guard, so we had to improvise. Thea had to knock the man out while I transported myself and Harthal out. Then I went back and grabbed Thea. We've got to get out of here, though. It won't take them long to wonder why we haven't left yet. Thea planted the disguise hat on Harthal, and his appearance shimmered and changed. The man looked at them gratefully. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. I never thought you would. I was sorry to hear about the one I met before, your friend. He died fighting a white dragon, Rune said solemnly. We couldn't leave an innocent man in jail, Killian said, patting him on the shoulder. Let's go. They hurried off back to the inn, relief hitting them at the top of the stairs to their rooms. After that, they advised Harthal to stay in their rooms and keep to himself. In the evening, they visited a few gambling establishments and made some bets, looking around for the symbol of the Golden Goose. On their third night in Yartar, they got word from a member of the Thieves' Guild, and she said she would contact them the next day with her findings. That evening, they gambled again, and this time Killian took a seat at the table. When the dealer asked him what he bet, he reached into his pocket and slammed the coin onto the table. I'm not gambling with money tonight, he said, revealing the symbol of the golden goose. I'm gambling with this. The dealer looked at him and nodded firmly. Come back at midnight to join the big table, he said. For now, we deal in coin. They waited around until midnight, then were ushered into a back room. To their surprise, there were no golden goose tokens. Instead, the players dealt in something else. Drugs? Opal squeaked in surprise. This isn't the seedy gambling den we were looking for, Flint muttered. Let's play it out, cautiously, Killian advised. We may still learn something. Besides, we won't hear back from the Thieves' Guild until tomorrow. They awkwardly took their places at various tables. All they had to bet with was Rune's large bag of powdered unicorn horn. Rune was cautious. As the players became more intoxicated, he pretended along with them while keeping an eye on his friends. After an hour of betting, he went through the room and watched people, asking a few of the patrons about a golden goose. No one seemed to recognize it, and he felt more and more anxious as the night went on. Whomever aided in the kidnapping of King Hecaton would have been cleverer than a group of rowdy, ill-dressed ne'er-do-wells. Eventually, they stumbled out of the raucous room and made their way back to the inn to a sleeping Harthel. "'Told you it wouldn't come to anything,' Flint murmured as they pushed into the room. "'Well, it was worth a shot,' Killian snapped back. Rune lit an oil lantern in the corner of the room and jumped back with a start. "'It's just me,' the woman from the Thieves' Guild whispered, holding up a hand. "'You scared the living Pegasus out of me,' Rune hissed. "'I thought you weren't coming back until tomorrow,' Killian said, frowning. She raised an olive-toned chin. I found something. Already? I'm that good, she smirked, then took a seat on the wooden chair in the corner of the room. She leaned back casually and crossed her legs. There's a hidden den of gambling held on a boat on the river. A boat? Killian asked. Yes, a boat. How big? Rune asked curiously. Quite large, she said. So you mean a ship? Killian corrected. The woman rolled her eyes and the sailor let it go. It's known as the Grand Dame. The ship is owned by Castier Drylum. He also owns half the city. He caters to rich folk, and his games are quite exclusive. One must appear the part if they're going to enter. She eyed their travel-worn clothing with disdain. When is it? The time changes on a whim, but my informants tell me it's most nights, an hour to sunset. Only someone with an invitation, or one of those golden goose coins, can enter. And they confiscate all the weapons at the door. Killian nodded thoughtfully. 
This is very useful. She got to her feet and strode toward him smoothly, until her body was a few inches from him. She put out a hand expectantly. Ah, um, yes, right, Killian muttered, reaching into his coin purse and dropping several gold pieces into her waiting hand. She closed her fist around the payment, smiled, then tiptoed to the window and climbed out into the darkness. Well, that was unnerving, Flint said, rubbing his eyes. I suppose we ought to tell the women in the morning. Rune nodded. This is good news. The next day, they told Evelyn, Thea, and Opal about the ship. They all went out, leaving Harthol behind, and bought fine clothes for the event. Rune found a colorful silk cloak with golden thread. It needed shortening for his gnomish figure, and he requested several hidden pockets to be sewn into the lining. When they had all found their proper clothing, they returned to the inn and placed their weapons into the bag of holding, which they then tied around Opal's back. When she took her beast shape, the bag would transform with her and be undetectable. Soon enough, the day grew cooler as the sun drifted toward the horizon, and they made their way to the Dasaran River in their finery. Soon they came upon another group of finely dressed people walking along the river. Their voices carried, and Rune caught most of what they said. The group spoke of Fiddler's Bluff, a well-known card game in which three players must convince the dealer that their hand is the highest. It involved a great amount of strategy and maths. Rune had played it a handful of times, but most gamblers didn't bother with the game. It was, as they said, a highborn game. They followed the group until they saw a long two-decker riverboat with dozens of massive wooden oars along its side. The boat was painted white and red with silver finishes and the name painted in bold letters, The Grand Dame. It had many high windows that showed a brightly lit interior and welcoming music drifted out. As they neared, they heard the clanking of glasses, laughter, and to Rune's great pleasure, the sounds of cards being shuffled and chips being thrown. Opal stepped out of eyesight and transformed into a beetle, then flew into Thea's hair. Killian and Thea took the lead as they walked across the dock after the group ahead of them and approached a man in a black waistcoat who was guarding the door. Invitations, the man said in an airy accent. Killian held up the golden goose coin with a meaningful look. The sailor had cleaned up nicely. His beard had been groomed and his silver-streaked hair brushed back into a dark ponytail. His iceberg collar brought out the ice blue of his eyes. Thea was hooked arm in arm with the sailor. The elf's shining black hair had three thick braids that met at the back of her head and tumbled down into loose curls. She wore an off-white ankle-length dress that stood out in stark contrast to her brown skin. It fitted to her form, and Rune saw the man at the door wasn't the only one to notice. Next to Rune stood the straight-backed Evelyn wearing black trousers, a grey buttoned shirt with a black leather belt, and long sleeves covering the scars on her arms. The girl wore boots, giving her a few inches of height, though she was still quite short behind Thea. Evelyn's white hair had been pulled back into a tight ponytail at the top of her head, and she had shadowed the pale skin above her eyes with dark makeup. Flint stood behind the rest of them wearing a long, patterned kilt and an emerald green coat. His red beard had been rebraided with silver beads that jangled musically as he walked. His bagpipes, which he had refused to leave behind, were folded up nicely on his back. The man at the door nodded to Killian and Thea and gestured for them to enter. The three of them followed, each with nods, and were checked for weapons inside the door. Then they entered a large dining room with long tables covered by thick red tablecloths. Various games were already being played and they saw piles of the wooden, gold-painted goose chips being tossed in with bets. A group of musicians played in the corner, and a bartender was busy mixing complex drinks behind a counter. 
The main room had mahogany paneling and intricately patterned wallpaper in a mix of blues and oranges. A large clock stood on one end of the room, sparkling in the bright lantern light. On the other side of the room was a life-size painting of a human man, standing stiffly in a rich styled robe. He had tousled brown hair and a scraggly beard, and on his shoulder sat a purplish-blue octopus, its many tentacles hooked around him. It was, presumably, the man who owned this boat and half the city. This place is a fire hazard, Rude murmured, and Flint nodded in awe. Then he noticed a woman standing in the corner of the room, surveying the guests. She had magpie features and even wore a small hat with gleaming black feathers in it. She was plainly dressed and looked haughty. Well, Killian said under his breath, glancing back at them, try to blend in and get as much information as you can. Remember, we're here to find out if this Castier Drylum was involved in kidnapping Hecaton. He looked around at the tables, then added, so don't get too distracted. Rune pshawed and trotted off to see what games were being played. An hour passed and there was still no sign of the man in the portrait. Rune walked around the tables watching people, listening in on conversations and noting where the staff went. There was a guarded, wooden-paneled door that he had seen open a couple of times to a winding staircase. Being half the height of most of the guests there, Rune was able to sneak near the guard and wait for a server to come to it. Just as the man opened the door, Rune turned invisible and shot past him. He pressed himself against the wall and watched the server walk down a short hallway behind spiral stairs. It was quiet on this side of the door. He waited a few breaths before following the man. The server entered the first room containing several large casks of ale and boxes of bottled wines and meads. Rune moved past that door and peeked into one that was ajar. It was the helm, and he could hear the captain speaking to several others, but the conversation was mundane. He also passed the kitchens before turning around. He went to the stairs and tiptoed up them. There was another short hallway, and he could hear passionate sounds behind nearly every one of the small doorways, the signs of people coupling. He wondered vaguely how long the couples had been up there, or how they'd escaped his notice at the door. There were no doorways in this part that led to the rest of the upper part of the ship, and Rune suspected there was a hidden door elsewhere that reached it. With a sigh, he crept back down the stairs and waited, invisibly, to follow the server back out into the crowd. Another hour passed before Castier Drylum made his appearance. The man sauntered into the room with two guards and gazed at his patrons with a wan smile, before his eyes landed on Thea. The man undressed the tall elf woman with his eyes, giving her a slight smile, then turned and took a full glass of wine from the bartender. He began sipping it and moved around the room, greeting people. Just as in the portrait, the purplish octopus clung to the man's shoulder, not, it seemed, needing any source of water to sustain it. Eventually, as though by accident, Castier sauntered over to Thea. She left Killian at the table and stood to greet him with a flirtatious smile. She held out a delicate hand and the man took it, pressing his bristly lips to it. How is your luck tonight, my lady? Castier asked. Thea smiled seductively and said in a low voice, I think it just got a bit better. Flint, who was standing near Rune, made visible vomiting imitations behind their backs. Rune sniggered and looked away just before Castier caught his eye.
You've been listening to The Giant's Gamble, written by Alexis Wienendahl and based on the Storm King's Thunder D&D campaign. If you'd like to read more of my writings, please visit my website at alexisvienendahl.com or you can click the link in the show notes.